Thank you again for your generosity. I appreciate you being a part so much. Um, we're continuing a series today called Thriving in Babylon. Uh, I won't reintroduce the whole series, but if you've missed any part of it, uh, we started a couple of weeks ago, we introduced what the series was all about, <clears throat> and we just walked through it a little bit. Uh, but really the world we live in uh, is a world culturally that's trying to change Christian values. They want, uh, the world wants Christian values to shift to meet the world. And, and what we see is a world that's combative at times to Christian values. They don't mind if we believe what we believe as long as we don't tell anybody about it or talk about it. We want, they want us to keep it to ourselves. And really what we see in scripture is not that the church should just survive, but the church when it's in a hostile climate should actually thrive. That the church should push back against darkness. That the church should actually influence culture instead of being influenced by the prevailing culture of the world. And, and what we see in scripture is there was a, a, oh, the Babylonians, they seized Judah and the nation of Israel and they took the best and the brightest back to Babylon and they did all kinds of things to try to drive the culture out of the, the, the deportees. But what we see is that these people pushed into God and instead of their culture being overwhelmed, instead of uh, their, their faith in God being squashed and and marginalized, instead what we see is that they actually grew in their faith and they were able to influence the culture of the world. Uh, and so the question today for us is not just how do we survive in the culture we live in today, how do we survive in a world that looks dramatically different than the world we lived in 20 years ago or 50 or 100 years ago that your grandparents or great-grandparents knew? The question is how do we thrive in that society? Not just how do we, how do we hold back or stem the tide of our culture against us, but how do we influence the culture and love our culture so well that they are influenced to know Christ? And, and that's really what we're gonna be talking about, what we have been talking about over the last few weeks. Um, and so the companion piece to this series is a book by Larry Osborne. Uh, he pastors in Southern California, great church there. Uh, but the companion piece is called Thriving in Babylon. A lot of what we talk about is, um, is derived from this book and it's available out in our lobby in our resource center or if you wanna buy it on Amazon, e-copy, whatever. I would love for you to read this book though. It really is a great read. Um, so one of the things we have to understand when we are thriving in Babylon, in order to thrive in Babylon, it's just some characteristics that we have to have in order to do well in a culture that's out to get us. And so what we're gonna do over the next couple of weeks is we're gonna talk about characteristics of people who can thrive in Babylon, characteristics that we see in the Old Testament and characteristics that we see in our world today even. And so we'll talk about that, but we're gonna start today um, and we're gonna take a little bit of a different approach to this, but we're gonna talk today about the, the characteristic of hope. Because what we see in the life of Daniel, and, and some of our source scripture is found in the book of Daniel, but what we see in the life of Daniel is that without hope, without biblical hope, he could not have survived and thrived in a culture that was out to get him. But the, the truth is, the culture we live in today is, um, hope is largely absent from the culture we live in today. Uh, one of the things that undermines hope in our life is crisis. And the bigger the crisis seems, the more it seems to overwhelm our hope. Um, if you watch television for 10 minutes, it's crazy to me. I watch the evening news and they will have 29 minutes of just craziness in the world, right? Everything is the worst and everything is huge and everything is big, uh, whether terrorism or disease or famine or whatever it is, the refugee crisis, uh, race tensions, all these things are huge. And then have you ever noticed on the evening news, like the last minute, they'll say, and here's a good story to end on this. These baby ducks were stranded and this family rescued them. And the end, right? And they like tag it on at the very end and that's it. And that's the world we live in today. 
Because the bigger the crisis, the more eyeballs that are watching the story, the more people that are, are reading the copy on, you know, on the story online or picking up the paper, whatever it is. So crisis sells. But the problem is crisis undermines our hope because it seems to overwhelm. And, and one of the problems is <clears throat> that we ingest crisis all the time. We ingest media. We are consuming it. And what we put into us comes out of us. In fact, Jesus says this in Luke chapter six, verse 45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So what he's saying is uh, we do good not because we try to do good, but because that's what's in our heart. So we change not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So our character and nature is changed when we know God, and that's what changes what we do. So he says that, but then he goes on to say, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So what Jesus is saying here is what is in us comes out of us. So what we have to be careful about is what are we putting in us? What are we consuming? What are we allowing into our ears and eyes and heart? Um, I am somebody, I don't know if you've noticed this, very, very, very rarely will I come out and make a public stance against a movie or a book or a television show or a, anything like that because my goal is not to get to police what you watch or listen to or where you go, but my goal is to help you grow in your faith enough where you can police yourself, where you can be wise enough to go, hey, is this something I need to be doing? Is this someplace I need to be going? Is this something I need to be listening to or watching? Um, and so that's my goal for you. But the truth is, uh, there's a problem with some of the things we put in ourselves and some of the things we allow in our hearts because they stunt our growth spiritually. And then we wonder why we're not growing. It's because some of the things we're putting in us is stunning our growth. It's amazing when you go on mission trips, sometimes you'll see kids in third world countries and some of them are tiny and you look at them and go, well, man, they're so little. And it's because their diet has stunted their growth because they don't have access to some of the things we do. Uh, they're not corn fed like we are in the South, and, right? And so like they grow them big. I'm a big old boy. That's how they grow them in Oklahoma, right? They don't do that in Peru, okay? And it's because their diet is different. What they're ingesting changes how they can grow and how they can develop. And the same is true spiritually. What we ingest in our media choices, all these things, it can stun our growth. And one of the things that happens is it prevents us, it caps our joy and it caps our hope because of what we're putting in us. And we undermine our own hope because of what we put in our lives. So that's one of the problems. The second problem is I think we have a, a bad idea of what hope really is. Biblical hope is very different than what we think of in the world today. Because when we talk about hope, we'll say things like, hey, I hope you have a good trip. Or I hope he calls, or I hope she calls, or I hope I get the job, or I hope you have a good day, or I hope the Steelers beat the Chiefs tonight, right? And those are all, those are all good things, but those are all things that if we substituted the word wish in for hope, it'd mean the exact same thing, wouldn't it? And so really when we think of hopes, we think of wishes. Well, I, I, I wish this would happen. Or sometimes when we think of hope, we think of this visualization, this, this kind of new age kind of thing where you just visualize the very best and you just imagine it. You imagine yourself doing well. And there's something to be said for imagining a good outcome and, and having a good mindset, but that's not what I'm talking about either. When I was in high school, um, I had a basketball coach and he was big on this. And one of the things he would say is, hey guys, every night before you go to sleep, I want you to visualize you shooting 100 free throws and you making that free throw, perfect form and you follow through, I want you to imagine that. 
And I want you to visualize it. And so he was making us do this. And there was one day we were supposed to go work out in the weight room. And I was like, hey coach, what about instead of working out, we just visualize it the whole time. And he was like, hey, everybody on the baseline, we're running. And I was like, no, 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 I'm sorry, right? So visualization is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is dramatically different. See, hope isn't wishing for something or visualizing for something. Hope is knowing something. And maybe more importantly, hope is knowing someone. A biblical hope is knowing. Um, Just as, as sure as you are that two plus two equals four, just as convinced as you are of that fact, that's how convinced hope is. True biblical hope is convinced that God is who he says he is that he will come through in times of trouble. That's what hope really is all about. See, if, if you came to me and go, Mel, I got bad news for you. Two plus two equals five. I'd be like, you're crazy. You are nuts, right? I know this for sure. And in the same way, when, when things come against us, when we're hoping for a situation, uh, we're waved so easily and we're waver and go, oh, I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe I shouldn't be thinking about that. Maybe I shouldn't be praying for that. Maybe I shouldn't be hoping for that. But biblical hope is rock solid. It's locked in. And in fact, the word that's commonly used, there's several words that can be translated as hope in scripture, but one of the ones you see most commonly is the Hebrew word kavah. And the word kavah, it means to wait, look for, or to expect. And it means all these things, especially in times of trouble. Aren't you grateful for that? That especially when you're in trouble, that's the time that you should hope. But unfortunately, that's also the time that we're supposed to wait. Another definition for uh, kavah is to bind together, and I really like this because this, word, this, this phrase, bind together, one of the things we have to think about is it's easy to hope in the context of community. It's hard to hope alone. But when you've got other people that you're bound together with, that you can hope together with them for something, it makes it so much easier. Does that, does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? No? Do I need to go back through it? You're like, no, just say yes so he'll keep going, okay? Now this is the thing. Sometimes we, we hope alone or we kavah alone and that is not God's intent for us. Number one, we're supposed to be bound together with God. In order to really have biblical hope, we have to be bound together with the heart of God. We have to know who God is and be in relationship with him because that's what builds trust. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But another thing that's so important for us is to be in godly community with people around us so that we can hope together, so that when our hope wavers a little bit, somebody else's hope can lift us up and strengthen us. See, one of the problems is you're having a hard time hoping, but you're, you're not, you don't have godly community in your life. You don't have anybody to encourage you and bless you and speak life into you. And that's why small groups are so important. I'm not just pushing the church agenda. I'm not telling you that you need to be involved because it's gonna help the church. I'm telling you you need to be involved because it's gonna help you. When you get involved in a small group, you're gonna share your life with people. Uh, It's a little bit scary, but there's something powerful about being bound together with other people. When you serve someplace in our church, it's amazing what happens when you begin to be bound together with people. Hope builds and rises and something powerful happens in that moment. See, kavah is closely associated with trust. And so one of the keys we see is that when we kavah, like it says in scripture, that there's this idea that we trust and wait. Does anybody like waiting for anything? I don't either. I had somebody ask me this last week, how's the building going? I said, man, the building's great. We're gonna be done on time, on schedule, unless something crazy happens. So I'm excited, um, but, and it's really good. And they go, oh, that's great. And they said, so you're happy with the timeline? And I said, well, no. If they told me they could get it done in two days, I'd ask them why they couldn't get it done in one day, right? I would not be happy, because I don't like to wait. None of us like to wait. 
But this is one of the keys of kavah, is to trust and wait. And it's easier to do that whenever we know the heart of God because when we really know God, no matter how long we have to wait, we know he's gonna come through. We, we know, even if I gotta wait on this prayer for a while, even if I have to trust and wait for a while, I know God's gonna come through. I know God's gonna show up. See, hope seems risky sometimes though. Because what if God doesn't show up? God, what if God doesn't come through? What if, what if, what if I, I tell people I'm hoping for this or believing for this and then it doesn't come to pass? I'm gonna look like a fool. And I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 49. God is telling the nation of Israel who he is and what he's gonna do. And then he finishes this passage with verse 23 and he says, then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. And the word for wait there is kavah. It means for those who hope in me, those who trust and wait for me will not be put to shame. See, God will not, will not allow us to be put to shame when we put our hope in him, when we trust him with everything we are. Um, the, the Greek word for hope is virtually identical to the, the Hebrew word, and it's elpizo. Uh, and it means almost the exact same thing. But it, it, this passage I'm gonna share with you um, is about Abraham. Now, Abraham was important because he was the patriarch of uh, Christianity and Judaism and Islam. So he's the father of three major religions in our world today. Um, and all three religions hold him in high esteem. And, and Abraham was promised that he would be the father of a multitude of people. He, he actually was promised that his descendants would number like the stars in the heaven. And so Romans is talking about Abraham and his faith. And this is what it says in Romans chapter four, verse 18. It says, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So it's referring to his promise that just as the stars are, are numerous in the heavens, that's how your offspring will be. And he goes on in verse 19 to say, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So he was 100 years old and he received this promise. His wife was 90 and in her 90s. And so they received this promise and he's like, God, God, that's really nice of you. I appreciate the offer, but I'm gonna be honest with you. Look at us, right? In fact, Sarah was rebuked because she didn't believe the promise of God. She didn't believe what God had said. And so Abraham could have said, okay, God, let's be honest. Look at this situation. I'm 100. My wife is barren. There is no way we're having these kids, right? Look at the physical situation, God. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, you're God, I know, but come on, how can you make this happen? And we look at that and we go, well, that's ridiculous, right? Because we, we can look at this in hindsight. But in our own lives, we do this all the time. God says something to us or speaks something to us or lays something on our heart. We go, okay, 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 God, that's great. But come on, look around, God. Who am I? How could you use me? How could you do something incredible through me? How could you use my family? I'm not anybody. I'm not educated. I'm not, right? And this is what Abraham the situation he was in. And this is what it says, in hope he believed against hope. And so what that means is he had no reason to hope in the physical, right? He had no reason to say, hey, I'm hopeful we're gonna have kids. He was 100. He had no reason to say, we're gonna start a family. It's a little late. But he said, God, you said it. And I know you, so I know I can trust you. And no matter how long it takes us to have kids, I'm gonna trust and wait. This kavah was at work in his life. He said, I'm gonna hope in you because I know my hope's not in vain. I know that if you give me a promise, no matter how outlandish it seems, I can put my hope in that because I know I can trust you. I know you're gonna show up. 
And this is what biblical hope really is all about. Um, Daniel chapter two. Last week we talked just a little bit about Daniel chapter one and we talked about the tests that Daniel encountered, uh, that we're all tested in life. None of us like the test, but we're all in, we all encounter tests. And authentic faith, true genuine faith will help us pass the test. And true authentic faith may fail or fall at times, but authentic faith always gets back up. And we talked about this last week. So if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. So we talked about that. Daniel chapter one, he was tested uh, and he passed the test. In Daniel chapter two, it's interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. He, he has this crazy dream and he wakes up from the dream and he, he brings his wise men in. And his wise men were soothsayers and spiritualists and uh, enchanters and um, mystics, all these kind of things. So it was this wide group of people. And Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah all fell into that group because they were known as wise men. And so he brings this group of guys in and he goes, hey guys, I had this crazy dream. It was insane. And, and this is my paraphrased version from Daniel chapter two. So this is what he says to them. And, and these wise men respond and go, hey, well, king, we get it. Tell us your dream, we'll interpret it and tell you what it means. And the king goes, no, I don't think so. He said, I want you to tell me what it means, but in order for me to know you really know what you're talking about, you're not just lying, I want you to tell me my dream and tell me what it means. And if you don't do it, I'm gonna tear you limb from limb and I'm gonna burn your house to the ground. You think your job has some pressure? Right? Has your boss ever t threatened to kill you and kill your family and burn your house to the ground? If so, you need to change jobs, okay? I'm just telling you. Um, no, I mean, this is crazy, right? And so the wise men go, well, God, uh, you know, give us some time. We need to think about it. And who could come up with this? And he goes, no, 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 you're just buying time right now. You need to tell me what my answer is. And they're stalling. I can imagine they're stalling, like, humana, 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 right? And he goes, okay, you know what? I'm killing you all. I'm sick of this. All my wise men are gonna be killed. And so he's gonna put them all to death. So uh, one, of, one of these guys shows up to kill Daniel and his compatriots, and he shows up to kill them. And Daniel basically goes, no, 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 give me just a minute, give me a minute. He's like, okay, okay, uh, listen, ask the king for just a little more time, I'm gonna pray about it. We're gonna figure this thing out, right? He's stalling, which I understand. And so he goes to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he says, guys, listen, we got to pray. This is a desperate situation. Literally, we are on the clock, okay? Um, so pray about this with me. So they pray about it, and God reveals the king's dream to him, and he reveals the interpretation. And so they go back to the king, and this is what it says, they, they, the guard takes Daniel in to meet the king. And in Daniel chapter two, verse 27, it says this. Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. And then he goes on to tell him all the dreams and the visions and what they mean. But I love this because what Daniel says is, listen, there's no reasonable way that I could explain how I know this because I don't, I'm not a great guy. He says, there, there's no answers in wise men, enchanters, magicians, astrologers. None of those people have answers. What he's saying is, you can't put your hope in any of those things. He said, I don't even know the answer, but, but this is powerful. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's saying, there was no other place for us to hope. There was no other place for us to find answers, but there was one, and there was God. See, some of us, we're guilty of this. We, we look for hope in so many places. 
Well, if I, if I can just get the promotion, if I can just get the raise, if we can just make a little more money, if, if we can just climb the social ladder, if we can just be seen with that group of people, if we could just have that house, if we could just drive that car, whatever it might be, if my kids could just excel at this sport. But all those places will fail you. All those places will disappoint you. None of those places are gonna give you the hope that you're looking for. The only place that we can find hope is in God. But there is a God who reveals mysteries. And this is, this is Kaval. This is him saying, I know God and I trust God. His life was on the line, literally. And he said, okay, God, I trust you. I know you can show me this. I know you can reveal yourself. And he trusted the Lord. In the next chapter, in chapter three, um, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he was an egomaniac and he built a statue to himself. It was 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. And um, he built this statue and said, everybody's gonna worship the statue. And so people, he said, when you hear the music play, you bow down, you're gonna worship. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah they go, nah, I don't think so. Go, well, don't you understand? You have to. No, we're not gonna do that. And I love this because what they were saying is, um, your culture can't change us. We're not gonna allow your culture and your values to change what we believe. We believe that there's one God and it is not Nebuchadnezzar. And so we're not gonna worship Nebuchadnezzar. And they go, well, that's fine. We're gonna kill you. In fact, we're not just gonna kill you. We're gonna burn you to death. How does that sound? And I gotta be perfectly honest with you, standing right here in this room, I'm like, I would have said, burn me alive, I'll take it for Jesus. But if I'm gonna be honest, if I was faced with that reality, I don't know how I would have responded. And they said, okay, we're just gonna burn you guys to death. We're gonna throw you in the fiery furnace. How does that sound? And they, the king threatened them with this. And this is, this is how they responded, these three Hebrew children. They responded in verse 17 of Daniel 3, and they said, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, firing furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. This is what they say. They said, you know what? We know God so well. We trust him so deeply that we know, even in the face of, of doom, of death, we know that God can save us. We trust him in spite of what we see. We have our hope in him in spite of what we see. So yeah, it seems bad, but guess what? They knew something that I don't think Nebuchadnezzar understood. We talked about it in week one, that God is in control of who is in control. So they could look at the situation and go, oh, you, you think you're a big man? Well, guess what? I know the person who's really in control. My God is in control. And so you can threaten us all you want, but our God can come through. And then they make the statement afterwards. They say that and then in verse 18, but, and they say this, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They say, we know our God so well that we're gonna trust him and put our hope in him and we're gonna be just fine. But even if he doesn't show up, even in his sovereignty, if he decides not to rescue us, we're still not gonna do it. We still reject your culture and go, no, we're not gonna do it. How powerful is that? How could they do that? How could they possibly make that choice? And it's because they understood biblical hope. They understood what it meant to hope in the right thing, in God. See, 
The Bible warns us against putting our hope and our trust in other things. It warns us in Job and in Psalms and in Proverbs about hoping in riches. And the truth is we hope in riches all the time. Man, there are people every day at Sheets buying lotto tickets and playing scratchers because they're just hoping to hit it big. If I can just, man, it'll, it'll help me. I'll be able to pay this off. I'll be able to get out of this hole. Do, do you know why uh, Las Vegas is as successful as it is? It's not because people are winning. It's because the house wins, okay? But what are they doing? They're playing on people's hope. They're saying, man, if I can just win, if I could just hit it big. What are they doing? They're essentially putting their hope in riches. Psalms and Habakkuk, they talk about putting our hope in idols. And again, you might go, I don't worship idols. But anything that draws attention away from God in our life, anything that, that supersedes God in our life is an idol. It's, it's a practical idol. And idolatry isn't taking a bad thing and making it a good thing. Idolatry is taking a good thing and making it a supreme thing. So it's taking something that may be really good and it's making it everything in our life. That's where we put our hope. We see that we shouldn't put our hope in foreign powers or in military might. We see that we shouldn't put our hope in uh, political leaders. Hello? How many people over the last 20 years have put their hope in political leaders? We get the end of a, of a presidential cycle and we're like, okay, if we can just get this person elected, then everything's gonna be okay. Then everything's gonna be all right if my candidate will just get elected. But I got news for you. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. God is still in control of who's in control. Our hope isn't dependent on 1600 Pennsylvania. Our hope is dependent on God, that he is who he says he is. And one of the th other things that, Scripture warns us not to put our trust in as human beings. Um, we don't put our hope in anyone else except God. I've said this before. If you expect someone of the opposite sex to complete you and make you whole, you're in trouble. You're asking somebody to do something that they were never wired or meant to do. My wife is fantastic. She is a gift from God. I'm so grateful for her. But she is not meant to complete my life. God is meant to complete my life. So if I put my hope in her that she's gonna make my life perfect and she's gonna make my life everything I want it to be, I'm asking her to do something she can't do. It's never her job to do that. And I got bad news for you. Every person in your life at some point is gonna disappoint you. I tell every one of our new members groups that comes through, I tell them, I said, man, there's a lot of things about the summit I can't promise you. There's a lot of things I can't tell you. This is what we're gonna do or where we're gonna be, but this is something I'll absolutely promise you. This is ironclad. You can take it home. Um, this, you can count on it. I will disappoint you at some point if you stick around here long enough. I'm gonna do something or say something or respond some way that you're gonna go, well, I can't believe you did that. It's absolutely going to happen. Do you know why I know this is gonna happen? Because I'm a guy. And we do stupid things and we are human beings and we will say things without thinking sometimes. We'll do things without thinking sometimes. And, and because I'm a human and you also are a human, I'm assuming that we are not always going to agree on things, right? <laughs> there are times that, that we're just not going to agree. And that doesn't mean one is bad or one is good. It just means that's how it is. So if you put your hope in people, you will be disappointed every time. The only place we put our hope is in God. I wanna share this passage with you. Um, this is from Romans chapter five. Over the last few weeks, this passage has really been in my heart and, um, and I feel like this is gonna be my, my, my verse for the year, if I can say it like that. A lot of times I don't 
like have something that I'll kind of anchor myself in like this throughout the year or a word or something like that. But I really have felt like this is gonna be my passage for the year this year. And, um, and I'm gonna start in Romans five and I'm gonna start in verse one. And it says this, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, when it says the hope of glory of God, it's using this as a noun form, and what it's talking about is the end times. When Jesus returns, he's talking about the millennial reign and the new heavens and new earth. It's talking about the hope we have as believers that this life is temporary. And so it's different, it's, it's, a, it's a noun form, and it is the hope, if that makes sense. So it goes on to say in verse three, not only that, now listen to this, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why would we rejoice in suffering? Well, we rejoice in suffering knowing that something is coming out of it, that it's producing something. And it goes on to explain it. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I think when I would have started, when I started this message, if I would ask, who wants more hope in this room? Everybody would raise their hands. But when we look at this verse, I think some people are starting to waver a little bit maybe. Because we want hope in our lives, but we want hope to be deposited in us. We want God just to go, and give us hope, right? And we, I'm hopeful now. And that's not how it works. What we see here is that hope is produced in our lives. And if we start at the beginning, it says suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. So what we have to say is that suffering produces hope. Oh, God, but I don't want to suffer. Yeah, none of us do. Remember last week we talked about tests. Tests come toward all of us. All of us are in the middle of tests at times. We, we can't avoid it. It happens. So what do we do? We suffer well. We stand firm in authentic faith so that we can endure the suffering. So when the suffering comes our way, we don't run from it. We don't hide from it. We say, okay, God, how can I glorify you in my suffering, in my test? How can I bring glory to you? And I told you this last week, authentic faith will fall, but it'll always get back up. Now listen to this. Suffering produces endurance. The only way suffering produces endurance is if it's authentic faith and it's submitted to God and we go, okay, God, I'm suffering here and I need you and I can't do this on my own. I need some help. And we submit it to God because endurance only happens when we continue to, to persevere, Right? So when we're tested and our, our, we fall and we get back up, that's where endurance is produced. Um, this is what happens. We suffer through a situation and we grow in our faith and we submit it to God. And a year later, two years later, we go, God, this doesn't seem any easier. But then when we think back on our circumstance and we go, man, you know what though? Two years ago, I can't believe that I thought that was a big deal when I was suffering through that. Do you know what's happened? Your endurance has increased. Your pain threshold has increased. That which was really difficult for you at one point now is a piece of cake. Why? Because you submitted your suffering to Christ and he's produced endurance in you. And as endurance is produced, it produces character. So as endurance begins to grow in your life and you can, you can learn to trust God easier and you learn to deal with more pain and more suffering in your life, uh, all of a sudden we see that character begins to be produced. And the way character is produced is 
we trust God and we lean into God. And when suffering comes our way, the only way we endure it is by trusting God more and knowing him more. And that trust builds character in us because we learn the character of God. So when we learn who God really is, it reveals something about who we are and our character is developed. Remember I said last week that tests reveal something about who we are and that's what tests do. These, the suffering reveals something about who we are and it shows us that we need to run back to the throne of Christ every single time. And this produces character. And the only way we can have true biblical hope is by knowing the heart of God and by pressing into the heart of God, by trusting and waiting. And the only way that happens is if we have authentic faith that really knows who God is. And that produces hope. So some of us are running from suffering. We're avoiding it at all costs. But I'm telling you, when you do that, you're running from an opportunity to produce hope in your life. Hope isn't about a wish. It's not about a the flight of fancy or what you want to happen in your life. Hope is about being anchored in the knowledge that God is good and he is on your side. And no matter how long you have to trust and wait, God is gonna come through. It's not, it's not hoping the way we talk about it, but it's knowing the way we know that two plus two equals four. Just as sure as you are of that fact, just as convinced as you are, the same conviction level you have that two plus two equals four is the same conviction level we have to have when we say, I know my God will come through. No matter what you're facing today, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what the culture is saying to you today, I want you to know something. Our God is here. Our God is able. Our God is gonna show up. See, we can put our hope in all these other things, but there is a God who reveals mysteries and he's available to us today, not just in Daniel chapter two, he's available to us today. The question is, are you going to respond to him today? Are you going to hope in him today? Or are you gonna continue to chase after all these other things in this world? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you today. And we're so grateful that you're here and you're among us. And, and God, I thank you that no matter what struggles, no matter what tests, no matter what kind of persecution we're going through today, God, I thank you that you are good. And God, I pray that you would help us see how good you are. So Lord, minister in this place today. Remind us of your goodness today. And let us see you at work. Lord, have your way among us over these next few minutes. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask if you're here today, you say, Mel, you know what? Um, I don't know the biblical hope that you're talking about because I don't, I don't really know Jesus. I'm not really walking with Jesus. I'm not in a relationship with him. So as a result, I don't know that hope that you are talking about today, but I want to. I want to experience what that hope is really all like, uh, all about. And I, I want to experience what relationship with Jesus is all about. I'm not gonna make you come up to the front. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, that's me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. I wanna experience biblical hope today. If that's you, would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And I'll acknowledge it and you can put your hand back down. Is there anybody who says, that's me, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Thanks, up in the balcony. Yeah, up on my right. Praise God. Who else? You say, that's me, pray for me. Thanks, over here on my right. Thank you. I see you, sir. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? You'll say, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Thanks, up in the balcony. Thanks, another hand over here on my right, up in the balcony. Praise God. Awesome. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this prayer after me. Say this prayer out loud and repeat it after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. 
and thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I place my hope in you and I'm chasing after you. I'm leaving behind my old life and my old ways and my old habits. Today, I am yours and you are mine. I choose you, but thank you for choosing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a round of applause this morning? Now listen, if you prayed that prayer, I just wanna ask you to do something for me. There's a card like this one in the seat back in front of you. On one side, it says, need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, please fill out the side that says salvation for us. Drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can do something else instead. You can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. Let us know about your decision. We wanna help you take the next step. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, uh, let us know. We wanna help you take the next step as well. Just text that word salvation to the number 555-888 and let us know about your decision today. For every one of you that raised your hand and prayed that prayer, I just want you to know I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for what God's got in store for you. God's got a huge future for you. Jeremiah says he's got a future and a hope for you. And that is absolutely true. So I want you to know today, God's got something in store for you. Don't give up, continue to get up when you fall and uh, let us help you with that. So let us know about your decision so we can help you take the next step. Pastor Todd and the worship team is gonna lead us in one final song today. They're gonna lead us in worship. And as they do, our prayer team is gonna be on either side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason today, no matter what it might be, come find one of them. But I especially wanna encourage you, if you're here today and you're struggling with hope in your life for whatever reason, uh, step out from your seat as we begin to sing and find one of our prayer team members. And allow them to pray with you and just agree with you that God is gonna help you develop hope and produce hope in your life that you need to get through your situation. Uh, stay on your feet all over the room. We're gonna worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. Have a wonderful day and go Steelers.